This podcast is sponsored by the Sarasota Bradenton International Airport, a world-class gateway to Florida's Gulf Coast. Served by both domestic and international carriers, SRQ is conveniently centered in a region full of exciting attractions and only minutes away from award-winning white sand beaches. Seth, we're back. Hey, hey. Indeed, after we said during last week's show that the lounge was an endangered species, Sarasota Bradenton Airport emerged as an angel investor. Yeah, SRQ, home of Siesta Key. Some people say it's the nicest beach in America. Also, it's the place where I had my first caipirinha. And if you know me and my penchant for cocktails, you know that's kind of a big deal. (laughs) But I digress. Let's get the show on the road. Our trip starts in Sweden. Let me give you two quick facts. Sweden is one of Europe's fastest-growing economies right now, and Scandinavia's flag carrier, SAS, saw fuel costs drop by a third year-over-year in its most recent quarter. That sounds like a recipe for success, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like it, but SAS posted a negative 5% operating margin. Ouch. All right, we'll sort that out first. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. Also, we'll talk about fast jets, horrible no good year, a tiny triumph for Flybe, and revenue concerns for Delta, United, and American. It's all coming up on episode 44 of the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. As Seth mentioned, SAS posted a negative 5% operating margin for its fiscal second quarter, which consists of February, March, and April. Seth, this wasn't just the usual lousy winter quarter, was it? Yeah, and and, uh, note there that that unusual quarter, they have a weird calendar dates back to their bankruptcy several years ago. So yeah, February, March, and April, like you said. So it's a little hard to compare them to other airlines because, um, uh, you know, for example, January, February, and March, rather different when you replace, uh, you know, January with April, uh, you know, although if anything, April is a better month than January. And so, uh, yeah, that, that number is not good uh, in that context. Also not good in the sense that uh, they actually uh, lost ground versus last year, lost about three points of margin versus last year, despite what you mentioned about those uh, tumbling fuel prices. So, you know, not the end of the world for a European airline to do poorly in the winter. Uh, most don't do all that well, and you know, some of which still go on to have very good years. You know, they make their money in the summer, uh, but nor is it a good way to start off the year. You look at Finnair's similarly bad results. They had a negative 3% margin in the first quarter. And you look at the amount of competition in that area. It just seems to be that Scandinavia is a tough place to do business right now, unless, of course, your name is Ryanair. Would you say Scandinavia is a more competitive corner of Europe even by Europe standards. Well, it's become a lot more competitive again, uh, especially if you compare it to how it was a year ago. Uh, Scandinavia was actually a, a, a sort of a bastion of capacity control uh, a year ago. And I'm talking about short haul Scandinavia. Obviously, Norwegian was growing long haul and all that. But but yeah, you know, and, and SAS last year doing reasonably well. Its own CEO uh, you know, cautioned us. We were interviewing him for for, for the newsletter last uh, oh, about a year ago at this point, and, and and sort of said to us, "Hey, don't get too excited. You know, the the capacity situation in Scandinavia is this was at that time uh, kind of very favorable right now. 
and looking at forward schedules, he could see that changing. You know, so they so you know, none of this is any surprise. But yeah, it went from uh, sort of a regular, uh, relatively benign capacity envi- environment compared to most other parts of Europe to to a a very cutthroat one. And and so yeah, for uh, for that reason especially, but not only that reason. You know, we're talking also about uh, you know, Norway's weak currency and then. You know, related issues with the uh, oil industry, obviously. Yeah, Copenhagen, especially Denmark, uh, very, very competitive. Um, so all of that weighed down SAS, despite, as you mentioned at the outset, a, a reasonably healthy Swedish economy. And Finnair is looking to accelerate growth. Will that further trouble SAS? Uh, yeah, some of that growth will. You know, you know, Finnair, of course, a lot of what they do is is uh, to Asia, including to markets that that you know SAS doesn't touch. But uh, absolutely, um, you know, it's 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 all capacity in the marketplace. Uh, and again, that was an important reason, although certainly the only one why SAS did reasonably well last year. And, uh, you know, yeah, here they are again, you know, competing against airlines that you mentioned Ryanair, uh, in that case, an airline that will always have uh, far lower costs. And, you know, so SAS tries to do it with revenue premiums, you know, appealing to uh, corporate travelers and so forth. And they'll take premiums over Ryanair. Uh, But the problem is that when the cost gap is as big as the cost gap is against Ryanair, Hard to make up all that ground with uh, with revenue premiums, with the loyalty program and you know, all the things that SAS has, the frequencies and so forth that Ryanair doesn't. After the strong Swedish economy and the falling fuel prices, the list of positives ends pretty much right there because nothing else, it seems, is going right. Things are bad on the labor front. Operations have struggled. And SAS is highly exposed to the fall in demand in the wake of the Brussels attacks. Yeah, and and uh, at least with the Brussels attacks, uh, awful obviously as as that was, you know that's something that going forward will 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 taper off. The other issues are 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 ongoing now. In terms of the operations, uh, look, they're they're getting their hands around that. The problem is that fixing the operations is costly. Uh, yeah, there's always that trade-off that all airlines make between you know, look, you know, airlines could be extraordinarily reliable at a very high cost uh, where they just you know could never get paid back for it or extraordinarily unreliable and then save money in doing so they all have to operate somewhere between that but when you are an airline uh, that 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 is chasing corporate traffic that is trying to say hey fly us instead of instead of Ryanair and instead of uh, you know other LCCs Norwegian obviously a huge short haul competitor you have to have a good operation and SAS a lot of how they restructured themselves was through cost cuts uh, you know they took a lot away from from their workers as you mentioned you know, ongoing labor issues uh, and and um and, and yeah, just through other efficiencies, but sometimes efficiencies means oh, not having as many spare aircraft around, you know, uh, scheduling things more tightly, you know, so the aircraft's not on the ground as long, but then those things can lead to operational issues. So uh, they've decided that, yeah, that they can't tolerate the level of, of operations that they had, uh, you know, sort of the the, the, the unsatisfactory uh, performance. And, and so they, they are spending some money uh, fixing it, which uh, should ho- help on the revenue side. But then there you go with the... Uh, Uh, potentially higher costs. We often talk about how European airlines who exist in a space between the LCCs and the major network carriers, those airlines tend to struggle. Does Eurowings have the solution? Well, uh, I mean, Lufthansa thinks so. Look, uh, this this is an airline with a lot to prove. Uh, by the way, the subject of our of our cover story in the newsletter this week. So we go into into great depth about this. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the source of my question, okay. by the way, <laughs> or the inspiration of my question. Yeah, um, I mean, look, you know, right now they're not making money. Is that a 
awful winter quarter. And as I mentioned, you know, the winter quarter is, is, is certainly not the whole ball game for any European airline, but Lufthansa thinks that it can profitably capture the market segment where the growth is. I mean, the way it sees it is, yeah, sure, corporate traffic is higher yielding, uh, but there's a ceiling there. It sees uh, the, the leisure market, particularly long haul, but not only long haul, as, as just where the growth is in Europe. Uh, you know, there are structural reasons why leisure is always huge in Europe, the long vacations and all that sort of thing. You know, so 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 it it sees Eurowings as part of the solutions for that specifically, and also perhaps as 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 some sort of vehicle for consolidation. Uh, uh, you know, the the idea that it uh, looks likely to take full control of Brussels Airlines, for example, of, of which it currently owns nearly half. Lufthansa, I'm talking. Look, Brussels Airlines would somehow be consolidated. It seems uh, under the Eurowings umbrella with the more flexible labor contracts and and, and that sort of thing. And you know, uh, apparently uh, Lufthansa has talked to SAS about doing something. And uh, you know, perhaps at one point taking equity in SAS or something. It sounds like that's not going to happen. But there could be some kind of involvement, perhaps uh, again there too with Eurowings. Not clear exactly what kind of shape that would take. But uh, but yeah, you know, Lufthansa has high hopes for Eurowings for the moment. It's it's just another complexity in a highly complex empire uh, you know, that, that that hasn't yet, you know, sort of started generating positive returns. But we'll see in the long run if if uh, if they're onto something. OK, one positive I didn't mention, and we always want to end on a positive note. We reported in Airline Weekly that SAS has seen some encouraging results with its long haul growth strategy. Seth, are you encouraged? Well, you know, that's typically uh, where if you are a uh, European legacy airline, you you, you want to focus because obviously short haul is just so hyper competitive. Uh, yeah, the problem is obviously Norwegian is is uh, growing very rapidly in, in the long haul arena. So a little hard to steer clear of, 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 of the LCCs now in the same way that they could have in the past. But yeah, I, I mean, if you're SAS, that, that's where you've got to think you're you're. Um, your relative advantage is, you know, you've got a, uh, if you're SAS, a, a new business class cabin, uh, state of the art. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very nice product, you know, again, economies that, you know, notwithstanding what Norway is going through, um, certainly exposure to, to a lot of reasonably healthy economies, certainly on the U S side and in parts at least of, of, uh, of Europe. So, uh, so yeah, no, if, if long haul is, is doing well for them, that's good news. Um, they are, however, still overwhelmingly a short haul airline. And that is really the key difference. If you're looking at SAS and Finnair, you know, I think it's sometimes tempting, understandably, to kind of lump them in the same group. A couple differences is that, first of all, SAS is just far larger. Second of all, Finnair is overwhelmingly a long haul airline. Uh, you know, they have their short haul network, but you know, just kind of look at their ASKs. They're a long haul airline. SAS, a short haul airline that is indeed uh, expanding more into uh, into long haul. Meanwhile, SAS would be doing great if every other airline in the world were fast jet. <laughs> How do you like that transition? Yeah. Uh, the carrier from Tanzania posted a god awful 2015 operating margin for the year was negative 58 percent. Negative what? 58%. What went wrong and what are they doing about it? Well, yeah, it, it, uh, look, this is discouraging, uh, you know, beyond just fast jet. Um, you know, it, anybody who's rooting for sub Saharan Africa to, uh, you know, to, to, to evolve in the aviation world and to experience, uh, you know, all, all the, all the benefits of, of a growing airline industry at the rest of the world has, has, uh, 
has experienced, um, you know, really had to be rooting for for fast jet. And and I got to tell you, you know, look, people were understandably skeptical. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, the low cost model really started in the U.S. with with Southwest and others. Then in Europe, uh, you know, in the 1990s, it bloomed. And then there were all kinds of doubters. You know, people said, oh, it'll never work in Europe. You know, Europeans won't put up with low cost service. Well, you know, uh, obviously that was wrong. And then you had, you know, Air Asia, uh, you know, around 2000, starting in Southeast Asia. Oh, you know, they'll never they'll never tolerate that over there and on and on. Um, and so all around the world, places where people said it would never work, it has worked. Then then you got to Sub-Saharan Africa and people said, Oh, it'll really never work there. And unfortunately, so far, they've been right. Uh, and, and it's not because the market hasn't accepted it. It's not because people don't, you know, don't want low cost air service. It's largely been because of uh, regulatory issues, because of bureaucracy, you know, because they haven't been able to get route rights, because, uh, you know, countries have been protecting their home carriers and and so forth. And they've just never really uh, gotten traction. So they have a new uh, management team there. Um, and, you know, they're they're uh, they, they've gotten some of what they've wanted uh, in in terms of in terms of route rights. It's it, it's it, it, it's just they're just in such a hole right now that um, yeah we'll see if they have time to uh, to turn themselves around because you you'd really like to see them do that. So much potential there in in a region by the way where you know precisely because infrastructure is bad, including road infrastructure. Yeah, just so many places that that are really longing to be connected by uh, low cost, high quality air service. You know, it's gotten better in some regards, parts of East Africa, especially, uh, especially because of Ethiopia and you know Kenya Airways and so forth uh, as well. At times, although it's having difficulties, you know, there are people who no longer have to connect in Europe to get from one point in Africa to another. You know, you'd hope FastJet would be a part of that. And so far, not not to the extent they could have been. They're down to five aircraft now for an airline that's expected to be a whole lot bigger than that by now. The UK turboprop carrier Flybe reported a slight profit during its fiscal year ending in March. Flybe's 1% margin was a bit of a triumph because it hasn't earned an annual profit since 2012. Yeah, hadn't anyway, right? So they uh, finally did it. And uh, they did it through really changing the company. Uh, you know, there, were, there was a lot going wrong there. Uh, just, just a lot of unprofitable service. They were in a bad joint venture. It's called Flybe Finland, and uh, yeah, now uh, now they still fly with other airlines, but they do it sort of under a model that's really more similar to sort of the regional flying model in the U.S. Uh, they fly under contract for SAS, for example. So it's SAS branded service operated by Flybe for Brussels Airlines as well. Uh, now to be clear, that, that's a small percentage of what they do. But apparently it's going well, and, and, and they have they have other hopes for that. Uh, the majority of what they do is is flying under their own brand, uh, Flybe. Uh, you know, there's just been a lot of churn where they've uh, they've exited routes that they probably should have given up on a long time ago and gone into better ones. Their big hope going forward is to do more service involving continental Europe, not touching the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, up until now, really everything touches the UK. It's all either domestic UK or from UK to to continental Europe. And, and so they're they're uh, they're they're just looking a lot more into connecting dots uh, w- within Europe. Y- you know, flying from oh, you know, I don't know, uh, Lyon to Milan, uh, 
to Hanover, places like that are some examples that that uh, they actually gave during their earnings call. And so, uh, yeah, they're 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 on the right path. Uh, you know, obviously the, the the margin that you mentioned one percent that's you know not not going to make you sustainably profitable, especially benefiting from lower fuel prices for so much of the past year, which you know that that's that's largely played out. I mean, if they, if they even if they don't continue rising as they have done in in, in recent months, uh, you know, the, the comps are going to get more difficult and the improvements are going to have to come from rising revenues, you know, for, for almost all airlines, not just from from uh, sort of falling costs the easy way, let's say, from uh, falling fuel prices. But uh, but they're on the right path. Do you expect uh, their Flybe's profits to continue building? In this week's Airline Weekly, we listed a, a number of challenges they face. I think one of those challenges was EasyJet, or will their unique positioning prevail? Well, look, I mean, they are trying to thread a needle, right? You know, it, it, it is in some respects tough to be one of these airlines trying to fly under everybody else's radar where, you know, you're looking for markets that are where there's a certain amount of demand, but not too much demand, because if there's a whole lot of demand, then it becomes interesting to, yeah, as you said, an airline like EasyJet. So, you know, frankly, probably not the kind of airline that's ever going to, uh, you know, lead the world in, in profitability. I mean, you, you look around the world at the airlines that are the most profitable and, and uh, you know, you, you don't really see an airline like Flybe. But that's not to say that as long as they continue on the path that they've been on, that they, uh, you know, can't be a, a perfectly sustainable and, and profitable airline. They're an important airline to a lot of, you know, mid-sized cities, especially where, uh, yeah, where, where their aircraft are the right size uh, to, to serve markets, uh, to serve markets nonstop, where otherwise you'd have to connect over a hub. Uh, but and, uh, on the other hand, they have high hopes for uh, for London, including who knows, perhaps at some point, uh, Heathrow. That's that's the uh, the obviously major exception to the fact that they're you know they have a, a sizable presence in in London. Uh, reports that perhaps it would want to fly from Aberdeen, for example, to Heathrow, uh, the, the a route that the Virgin Atlantic Little Red unit uh, flew for a little while there that's uh, been abandoned. So, uh, you know, they they feel like they have opportunities, and uh, and again, at, at least they are rather clearly on the right path. You just want to see them sort of confirm that momentum with another good half uh, here in the uh, the more far more profitable summer half of the year. In the U.S., Delta, United, JetBlue, and American are all talking about revenue declines, but of course in different levels of severity. Is this just more of what we've been talking about in the past two quarters, or have things worsened? Well... Uh... What's worsened is that, uh, you know, most of these airlines expected at some point to really get their hands around this. Uh, and um, and it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I mean, there was a time it's hard to remember. It's hard to you know believe now. But but uh, where they were all talking about, you know, hey, by the end of last year, the unit revenue declines would stop. Well, obviously, that didn't that didn't happen for different reasons for, for the uh, the different airlines. You know, United and American each have like specific geographic challenges. I mean, in American's case, DFW is a tough market. Uh, South America, um, you, you know, especially, but not only Brazil and so forth. You know, for United, it's Houston, where they you know, reallocated a lot of capacity away from that. But, uh, you know, and, and a lot of Asian markets are problematic. So, yeah, it, it's the disappointing thing is that the declines are continuing. And the problem about, uh, with that is that, um, as I mentioned before, you know, with, with fuel costs creeping up, 
I mean, look, we're now at the point, Jason, where somewhere here uh, oh, in, in the next several weeks, even if fuel prices don't go up anymore, they will be higher than they were a year ago, uh, only because, you know, a year ago they were still declining. And so when you just sort of look at where they were, um, so, so, so the comps are going to get very difficult. And, uh, you know, anybody whose revenue is going down and whose costs are, are not going down, which which is what the U.S. carriers are, are, are going to be facing here in some cases with new labor contracts and so forth, and especially as they slow their growth because of the unit revenue declines, understandably slow their growth to get their hands around the unit revenue declines, but that too puts upward pressure on unit cost because you, know, you don't have as much scale as you thought you would have and so forth. So you know, they're, they're, they're going to feel their margins uh, come under pressure at some point if something doesn't give. You know, it could turn out that those ever-increasing uh, you know, record margins mm, that they might no longer be setting records if, if uh, things uh, continue in the direction they've been, they've been going. So maybe this summer we'll be writing the headline, The Party's Over. It, 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 there, there's, there's a chance of that. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and, and, and to be clear, a long way away from any kind of crisis, anything like that. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about very, very difficult comparisons right now. Um, when, you know, when you're looking at all-time records, but it, it always, you know, the, the environment was, was, um, uh, in some regards, did always seem unsustainable. You know, you, you sort of had this, this revenue environment at the beginning of, of, of the, of the fuel collapse. A revenue environment that was as if fuel was still expensive, you know, because the airlines were still flying around with very constrained capacity that was planned back when fuel was expensive. Passengers flying around in many cases on tickets that they purchased back when fuel was expensive. But then, you know, fuel started falling and uh, and the industry started growing again. And and, and here we are. And, and so it was probably unreasonable to think that you, that that could exist forever, uh, you know, an environment where. Uh, fuel was cheap, but airlines were operating as if as if it wasn't. Uh, so uh, this might God, I hate to use the the you know the cliche a new normal, but but yeah, it, it, the answer may just be that that's where things settle uh, with with U.S. airlines still in very good shape, but not able to uh, continue expanding their margins forever. All right, last item of the day. Seeing as how we're celebrating our new lease on life, I thought we should finish with a dun 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 lightning round. Oh, don't get too discouraged. In this week's Airline Weekly, we ranked 46 of the world's airlines by average annual profit margin since 2010. So in other words, we ranked winners and losers for the decade so far. I thought we could list the top five and bottom five. And Seth, you could provide your usual insightful comments, preferably in a lightning fast manner. All right, let's start with the bottom five. Fifth from the bottom, one that's been in the news lately, Virgin Australia, 0% operating margin. Yeah, and its issues likely related to some of why it's been in the uh, in the news lately, you know, some of its shares changing hands. You know, Virgin Australia is majority owned uh, not by financial investors, which which you know, tend to own most publicly traded airlines, uh, but by strategic investors, namely other airlines. Uh, who have interests that go beyond just whether Virgin Australia itself makes as much money as it possibly can. We're talking about airlines who, well, in the case of you know, Air New Zealand, which is in the process of, of unloading its shares, uh, was in a joint venture with Virgin Australia. You know, Etihad, uh, the Singapore Airlines, you know, airlines that sort of wanted Virgin to pump traffic into into their own hubs, among other things. And so, you know, it, 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 it achieved some of those aims for those airlines. But the problem is that, uh, you know, when you don't have investors demanding financial returns, well, you 
you, you, you get that zero percent, actually fractionally positive, zero percent uh, operating margin for the um, for the decade to date. Uh, they did at least improve last year uh, compared to the prior year uh, for all of 2015, a positive two percent margin compared to negative two percent. But of course, you know, most airlines in the world, not all, but most uh, similarly improved. Thanks mostly to cheaper fuel. Fourth from the bottom. Thai Airways, also a 0% operating margin. Yeah, and also uh, just fractionally positive. But that uh, fractionally positive 0% for the decade to date belies the fact that they actually improved more uh, year over year. In other words, 2015 versus 2014 improved more than almost any other airline in the world. Uh, They went from a negative 11% in 2013 to positive 2% in uh, 2013. From 2014, rather to 2015. So you know that, that's that's a huge improvement. Now, look, 2014, Thailand was a, was a mess with political instability and so forth. So, uh, you know, so so of course things were going to get better uh, between you know just just that abating and, and Thailand becoming sort of, in the eyes of some travelers, look a relatively safe destination considering some of what's going on around the world and, and then fuel costs. So, so that explains a lot of it, but it doesn't explain all of it. You know, Thai Airways, uh, th- these past several years of losses, and they did lose money in 2011, 12, 13, and 14, that was actually the aberration, the anomaly uh, in their history. This was an airline that, uh, you know, for I, th- I think 39 of the 40 years before that, had been profitable, never wildly profitable, but you know it operated in a region where most airlines generally did well, Southeast Asia, and uh, you know and, and always managed to keep its head above water. Then things got bad. It it, it has a, a new management team there that uh, that 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 just seems to be rather sharp. That seems to you know understand what what needs to happen. You know, in in terms of making the difficult decisions about what routes to cut and so forth. Nobody likes to have to get rid of one of those flagship long haul routes. But, you know, if it's losing money, maybe you have to. And, and they've been willing to make those decisions. Uh, and, and so between, you know, the, the luck that I described before, but also uh, the, the management team that seems to get it, uh, don't be surprised if, if they are no longer, uh, you know, going forward in, in that bottom five. Third from the bottom and already mentioned on this show, with 0% or fractionally positive was Finnair. Fractionally negative, actually, yeah. Um, it, 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 oh, we've, we've gone negative, have we? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, we, we discussed it. Uh, you know, this is an airline, um, always a, a one-trick pony, uh, you know, ever since they sort of started their, their big Asia strategy. Uh, makes all the sense in the world. They've got the geography for it. But, uh, you know, at, at, the t- at times when they were doing reasonably well, uh, with what they were doing in Asia, you know, we always, we always said, well, that's going to be tough for them if things get worse in Asia. Well, guess what? Things have gotten worse in Asia uh, and dealing with all, all the other uh, issues that we talked about on the short haul environment, uh, you know, all the competition in Europe and so forth. And so, yeah, fortunate now to be in a uh, successful transatlantic joint venture with with IAG and American Airlines. But their bread is buttered in Asia and, and well, the and Asians don't eat very much bread. How's that for Second. Well done, well done. Second from the bottom with a negative 1% margin, Jet Airways. Yeah, uh, another in that collection of, of airlines that are partly owned by, by Etihad, and not the last one. I'll tease, tease, uh, <laughs> tease you with that uh, on, on this end of the list. 
But uh, they, they actually made a rather dramatic improvement last year. Not not quite what Thai Airways did, but uh, yeah, India is always a boom bust market. And sure enough, it, it, it's booming again. Now, Jet Airways is, is not at the top of the tables among Indian airlines. You know, Indigo is by far and away the most successful of the, of the Indian airlines. But uh, but, you know, they made a little money last year, uh, which is a lot better than they had done in, in the uh, in the several prior years. Um, and uh, yeah, India itself, among the large emerging markets, one that has thus far fared rather well, um, you, you know, where, uh, well, if you take the, the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India and China, uh, the first two, the the, the BRA, right, uh, Brazil and Russia have, have, uh, have really suffered here. Uh, India and China are those that have uh, thus far held up reasonably well, obviously big questions about China's economy. And so, yeah, along with India's economy doing reasonably well, its currency holding up reasonably well. Uh, it's airlines also, despite all the challenges of being an airline in India, holding up reasonably well, including Jet Airways. And at the very bottom, with a negative 4% margin, Seth teased it, Air Berlin. Yeah, another in the Etihad collection. This, this is an airline that w- would not exist without, uh, you know, without the continuing uh, infusions of, of, of help from Abu Dhabi. It's uh, it has negative equity. I mean, it's it's, it's you know essentially it's insolvent without uh, you know without money pouring in. Um, you know we'll see if if that's just going to be tolerated forever. It uh, didn't really improve last year, you know, and and you would have thought that with a negative five percent margin in 2014, that with falling fuel prices and the rest of it, that uh, it would have just benefited somewhat at least from the rising tide. But it didn't. You know, hard hard to really see a uh, a path forward. But um, uh, Maybe they'll figure something out. One interesting thing about those five is that they're all from a different region. Air Berlin and Finnair are a little close, but otherwise it's Jet Airways, Thai Airways, Virgin Australia. You would think that like one region would get hammered by something macro and you'd get a collection of airlines at the bottom. And and you'll see with the top five, they do come from a similar region. Um they, they, you would think they tend to cluster. I don't know. Is that as interesting as I think it is? But. Well, uh, I mean, I think the commonality there is that three of the five are, are uh, partly right. owned by Etihad. Um, you know, uh, and, and who knows where they would be, you know, if they'd be on this list at all, if they would exist in the case of Air Berlin, at least. Probably not the case with Virgin Australia, but... Yeah, so so that's so that is the commonality there. Not not a geographic one, but you know, airlines that are run for perhaps other purposes than just making money. This is probably the most analytical lightning round we've ever had, <laughs> or anybody has ever had. Okay, moving to the top five in lightning fast, lightning fast fashion. Uh, will the most profitable airline be Spirit, Ryanair, Allegiant, or someone else? Think about that. Fifth from the top with a fifteen percent average margin since two thousand ten. Alaska. Yeah, you know they're they're one that if you just uh, if you just look at them, you know they might not look like an airline that would be among the most profitable in the world, right? They're sort of they might look like one of these kind of caught in the middle airlines, you know, not not the very lowest cost, uh, but but you know no global network and that sort of thing, which you know, t- typically the most profitable airlines tend to have one or the other. But uh, no, but they they uh, they do have rather competitive costs next to their competitors in a lot of markets being the uh, the, the legacy airlines uh, you know, a very strong revenue performance uh, and, and just a great franchise in, in in a in a very successful part of the United States I mean in the Pacific Northwest 
They are the, uh, you know, although it's a competitive environment, they are the number one airline. They generally offer the best frequencies, um, you know, the, the most comprehensive network. You know, when, when you can do that in a region and not just any region, but a region where, you know, we have economies performing like those of uh, Seattle and, and uh, Portland have performed. Uh, that, that's just a, a really good space to be obviously going forward. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how they continue developing now that they uh, uh, take over an airline that is, well, uh, although not in the bottom five uh, and, or nor anywhere near that, certainly not in the top five in the world, of course, Virgin America. But Alaska uh, has, has has been right a lot more often than it's been wrong over the years. Fourth from the top, 16% margin, spirit. Yeah, that's one that kind of fits the mold. It's, it's, the, it's the ultra low cost model. It's a winning model. Uh, you know, you still have to execute it. I mean, just picking the model doesn't uh, doesn't win you the ball game. But but uh, they've they've done very well. It'll they're one where it'll be interesting to see going forward. You know, if the if the world is changes in certain ways where they struggle a little more than they have. I mean, look, they're going to be fine. You know, some of their markets uh, with the legacy airlines kind of laying down the law and saying, hey, you know, if it, if you're American, you know, you you can't you're not just going to come in here to Dallas Fort Worth and do whatever you want to do without eliciting a, res- a response, you know, that that may force them to compete in ways that uh, where they're not the most comfortable, you know, get into some markets that they maybe didn't plan on getting into, you know, more of the Allegiant type markets, the small city to big city markets and that sort of thing, which, you know, probably wasn't what they originally envisioned, seems to be perhaps even altering maybe their fleet strategy a little bit. Instead of just getting the lowest unit cost, you know, 320s and 321s, maybe more of the 319s, 320s, that sort of thing. Again, maybe not optimal if you're an ultra low cost carrier. Uh, so, you know, whether their very best days are behind them for the moment, uh, we'll see. But 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 uh, still uh, among the most successful airlines in the world. Third place, 16 percent margin, Ryanair. Yeah. And they're uh, yeah, they've done as well as anybody in the world consistently year after year. You know, the. I guess you could say, you know, if Southwest invented the low cost model, Ryanair, I don't know if you could say invented, but yeah, um, you, you know, among major airlines, uh, they, they were probably the first giant ultra low cost carrier and uh, they've executed it to perfection. Now they're even being nice to customers. But, uh, you know, if anything, it's they, they've just continued to make more and more money. You know, they've generally been nice to customers in ways that aren't uh, terribly costly, but they've accepted some cost. Uh, in exchange for uh, what they think will be revenue that exceeds the cost differentially you know, to, to basically just make even even more money. And uh, so far, so good for them. They're, they're doing very well. Second place with a 17% margin, Allegiant. Yeah, there it is, another ultra low cost carrier. So there we have uh, of, of the top five so far, three of them, uh, ultra low cost carriers, uh, Allegiant. Does it differently from Spirit? Um, it, well, in some ways, it's almost more similar to Ryanair with its network, almost like a reverse of Ryanair's network. Ryanair kind of collects people in big cities in Europe and takes them to all those charming small towns all over, all over the continent. Uh, in the U.S., the travel patterns tend to be the different, uh, tend to be the opposite. People go from small places to these giant leisure destinations like Orlando. Las Vegas and elsewhere. So the Legion collects them in small towns, takes them to the big destinations. They're doing some other things now and they've just, they've just done very, very well. It's so well that, you know, they've, they've made some kind of big mistakes. I mean, they've made a big bet on Hawaii, which they were wrong about. I mean, they took on a new fleet type and they, uh, you know, just, just really entered some very, very different kinds of markets and it didn't work out well at all for them. And yet it's just hard to find that problem 
uh, in their numbers. I mean, you know, it's in there. You know, they would have made even more money at some point if they weren't doing that. But uh, that that's how successful they are, that they could make you know kind of a big mistake like that and, and still be, as you said, the uh, second most profitable airline in the world by this measure for the decade to date. And first place with an 18% margin goes to Copa. And Seth, we're running out of time. Yeah, uh, kind of the opposite of what I said about uh, Thai Airways, which is near the bottom, but sort of moving in the right direction. Copa, uh, historically one of the very profitable airlines in the world. Yeah, still at the top, but lost a lot of ground. Uh, look, it's a successful, well-managed airline, but hard to suffer what they've suffered in their key markets like Brazil, Venezuela, Colombia, and and not have it impact your profits. They're trying to reallocate the capacity to uh, to better markets, but when you have that much go wrong that quickly, you suffer the decline from 20% in 2014 to 12% in 2015 that they suffered. So we'll see going forward if they could stay at least near the top. Excellent job, Seth. That completes the lightning round and that completes the show. If you can, please do give us a review on iTunes. And unlike last week, I can say definitively, we will be back next week with another episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge. The name Fast Jet, isn't that kind of redundant? Aren't jets by definition fast? I guess come to think of it, I never have heard of a slow jet. Oh, I'd fly that airline. <laughs> <laughs>